Left. Right. This is a fun episode. We were talking about cities of the future. What are cities of the future going to look like? What's the technology that's going to be integrated into the literal bedrock of the cities in the future? Listen, let me know you're here. Send a comment. Give me a thumbs up. Give me a like. Subscribe if you don't mind. We appreciate it. Enjoy the show. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. doing a crude drawing with graph paper would work just as well uh you need a long piece of graph paper welcome to sip talk we are now live this is episode 211 my name is justin DiGiulio out of my basement in new jersey joined by james the bosnator boswell philosopher professional bartender retired professional referee most exciting of all accountant james's biggest handicap is that he's always correct james good hanging I'm feeling particularly handicapped tonight. <laughs> well, Actually, I'm sick and it sucks right. because, well, it's not like anybody's ever been sick and be like, man, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm glad I got sick. Well, if you take time off of work and you get to chill at home. Which, yeah, when you work at home, you can't call out <laughs> sick. Ah, it's kind of like the new snow days now that we've been, <laughs> like, we've been doing school from home. You gotta, you're doing school at home in the snow days. It makes me think of... Uh, uh, a line from Dimitri Martin where he's like, one of the worst jobs you could possibly have is a telemarketer. He's like, not for any of the reasons that you guys are thinking about, but it's like, if you're really sick and you want to call off for the day, you have to call up your employer and say, hey, sorry, I can't come in. I'm sick today. I can't. I can't we, you, you, you called me, didn't you? <laughs> um, so look, so we're prior to us going live here, we've been talking about cities of the future that today is going to be our topic. We were discussing as we came on air the city called Line in Saudi Arabia. It's called Line City. Yeah. Neom. N E O M. Okay. okay. There's, we're gonna, it's also being called like the Line, but there's going to be like a little harbor that looks like normal and probably an airport that looks like normal, except probably like quasi futuristic and stupid, but still normal airport thing. Well, to, to define what we're talking about with Line, and we're going to. If you guys can hang in long enough, the two of you guys that are watching us today, uh, you know, we'll, fi we'll finally get to a list of futuristic cities that are currently in development, or you know, at least have CGI images generated of them, which is, which is maybe as close to some of these cities as uh, as we'll ever get. Um, I want to talk first just about this particular city and maybe theorize a little bit about what cities of the future are going should probably ideally encompass so this this line city the city neom is 170 kilometers long and 200 meters wide so let's think of that in in distance so, so 100 miles so about a, so 
basically two a over a hundred miles, two football fields wide mm-hmm. by just over a hundred miles long. Yep. So you 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 wouldn't be able to see the end of the city, the distant end of the city, even if you stood in the middle of it, either end. But you could see both both sides of the city widthwise. They would not be very far apart. I mean, if you had a good arm and you were standing in the middle of the city, you could probably throw a rock over the edge. Probably not, though. I don't know. That, that's a hundred. Well, throwing throwing something three hundred feet is about the limit of most. Like, like a, if you've got like a good baseball player, they can probably throw it a little over three hundred feet. What about one of those Nerf footballs with the wings on the end? That would. Uh, I don't think so. But uh, so. Uh, what James brought up, and I'm looking at the city thinking to myself, this is a silly-looking city. It's just long as hell, like getting around, commuting. And they have plans for high speed. They say you get anywhere in the city in like under 14 minutes or something. But James, just just for contrast prior to us going live, pulled a graph up with a city that was 0.2 by 17. All right, so 0.2 by 17, and then put a – uh, and a circle with the comparable area. And- yeah. So uh, when I was thinking about the city, I was like, all right, let's think about like the actual square footage of this city. So it was like 170 kilometers by 0.2. And I ran it. It was like, it's 34 million square meters. So I just plugged that into the circle, like the, the area formula for a circle. I was like, if we were to take that, instead of making that this ridiculously long line, how big of a circle would we need to make, contain that same amount of square footage or square meterage which which roughly a general city is loosely based off of of a circle just in this in the terms of there being kind of an epicenter of right so i was like if we were to just take all this stuff that we're stringing out into this really long line and made a circle that contained all the same stuff how big would that circle be and the answer is instead of 170 kilometers long this circle would be with a radius of about three point three, so so six and a half kilometers wide. From one, yeah, from one edge of the circle to the other is about six and a half kilometers. So about about three and a half miles, a little over, a little less than four miles. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's not a very big city. That's that's little less. That's less than the uh, length of Manhattan. I think Manhattan is is thirteen miles or so, top to bottom. So. It's like half of Manhattan, less. Yeah, whereas like if you were to do this line going from Manhattan, you'd probably end up in about Catskill. <laughs> um, yeah, in, interest. So there, there is, there are a lot of different concepts for future cities. We're gonna we're gonna get into a lot. Can we just of- show the graph since I spent so much time working on it? You did. You know what? I'm gonna crack a beer here. And we can look at just those... to show how stupid this is. Okay, let's see. Uh, um, I'm sharing. All right, let me pull this up. There we go. Okay. Right. So if you're watching, so, if you're watching live on. Just so you know, if you're watching on TikTok or Instagram, you can't see this graph. You got to be on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Twitch, or not watching the live version. So here's the line, and you can see how thin it is. This is the circle, and in order to see the entire thing, we have to zoom out. We have to keep on zooming out. And it starts here, ends all the way down here. So uh, yeah, what this one circle contains 0.2. 
it, yeah, I just, it doesn't make any sense. Because I'm thinking if you live in this city, you can go back to my camera now. Yep, I'm, yep we're back. Um, if you live in this city, like if you lived in the Circle City, and you had a friend that lived on the other side, they're only maybe six miles away. If you really needed to, you could even walk that. Mm-hmm. If you live in this stupid line thing, and let's just say that your friend is half the line away. <laughs> That's 50 miles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, Even it, if you've got like good transport in this line where they've got like subway lines that, or some kind of like like trains that run from end to end, like it's going to take you a while to make it 50 miles. Well, even a train going really fast end to end still has to make a lot of stops. Like that's the issue. The issue with a, a train isn't the speed in which it moves. It's how long it has to stop and deal with idiots holding the doors open while they, they you know, they get their bags on and off the train. That's well, that's the issue with transportation, buses and, and subways. Um, look, so talking to cities of the future, a lot of these I noticed, and we'll get to the list at the end, uh, are happening in the Middle East. A lot of, I think there's like four or five cities right now that are happening in the Middle East. And it takes crazy, stupid amounts of money to even theorize and plan for a city like this. And fortunately for the Middle East, there's very many people who are looking for very many alternatives to oil because that's you know, I think that we're on the brink of realizing that oil money is not going to last forever. Uh, and one of the cool aspects of these cities is they're also looking at alternative energy supplies. So I think that's that's an interesting aspect of future cities, whereas the majority of the current cities that we have are based on some version of oil, even if you even if you just back it up far enough to our power supply which is vastly fossil fuels. Um, what what are your thoughts on future cities outside of the line here? From what I've been seeing, um, there's a lot of, well, there's a lot of kind of techno bullshit that is trying to solve problems that have already been solved, but doing it in a flashy or techno way. So when you think about how do you move people around a city the best, we pretty much already have the answer, which is subway or light rail throughout the city. And the shining example of this is probably Tokyo. Okay, I've been on the, I've been on the Tokyo train system before. Like the Tokyo system is known for being like really efficient, both in like the way it's designed in terms of where are the stations and and where are the places of interest. They line up really well, but it's also known for just being on schedule and fast and affordable. So it's very easy to get around Tokyo. Now it's a maze. Like you need to learn the map and it's not easy to navigate if you've never looked at it before. But like it's very easy to get from one place to another quickly in Tokyo using the metro. And it's also good at moving millions of people every single day. It has a very high throughput. And so one of these things that you see all the time in, in all these different like CGI, CGI projects is like all these like various versions of, of autonomous things or pods where like the nice thing about a train is that each car can hold like 100 people. Whereas with these pods, they hold like two or three, maybe four. 
And so in order to move the same amount of people, you just need more pods than the system can even hold. So it's, it, it's just cars, but with a different name <laughs> and shiny. Yeah. And, and it's all, and you, and you see this kind of like podization of all sorts of things. You see it in like cargo where they talk about like autonomous rail cars where like there'll be like a battery powered individual rail, rail car that moves one thing and that just isn't efficient. Like the, the whole thing that you want to do whenever you're dealing with the system is like you, you want to have a system that goes from like a big macro level and then kind of branches out into ever finer things. So think about like your circ circulatory system. This is actually a really good example. You've got your heart that powers everything. And then you've got really big veins that go out of that. And then they periodically branch off. And the farther you go away, like the more branches are and the smaller they are. Yeah, but your heart isn't capable of sending blood to only one of those only one of those places uh, and it doesn't need to be because that's horribly inefficient mm -hmm. uh, one of the so when it comes to have... designing cities or any kind of distribution network you want to have a similar model where the farther you get away from the source the smaller the channels are but yeah but with with the politization of uh well the, with the politization you're basically just like doing capillaries from the heart that's my point yeah and that's not that's not efficient uh whatsoever i think i think what i've seen i think there's a good chance because when we're theorizing future cities what we're theorizing on is about technology that we don't quite have in our grasp today right so uh, you know, the way it is you've you've booked a trip and, and you've gotten underway without a hotel booked. OK, um, whereas I think the alternative look to building a future city is you've decided to go on a trip and you don't have the means of transportation to kind of get moving yet. And some of some of these cities, I feel like, are kind of cut off with really not knowing what their what the city is going to be based on, if that, if that makes sense. If you're basing a city around individuality and pods, it doesn't work in the long run. I think what we'll see is it that... It doesn't scale either. Well, I, I think what we'll see is some of these cities that we theorize and start building just never come into fruition or are just so sub-par uh, to the rest of the cities that were planned better, they just they, they don't have a shot to, to last through history, you know, from what I was reading today on uh, future cities, a lot of them account for flying cars and individual commuting, which is exactly what you're talking about. This one, we already did an entire podcast on how unlikely flying cars are. Okay. Yeah, there's a plenty around that. <laughs> Go ahead. And yeah, especially like if you're looking at like flying transportation within a city by like autonomous pod drones or whatever. Like, so think about, have you ever been around like one of those like quadrocopter drones that are, you know, maybe like three or four feet wide? Even even half the size. I know the point that you're going to make, but but go ahead. So I'm, you're saying three or four feet wide. I'm saying a foot and a half to two feet wide. And what's the issue with being around one of these quadcopter drones, James? So how much do those things weigh? Five, 10 pounds? Tops, yeah. How much, how much noise do they make? 
<laughs> you, you can't hear yourself have a conversation. It sounds like you're being swarmed by bees. Yeah, if there's one in the room, the, the entire conversation is... That's all you hear. That's all yeah. you hear. So now imagine a city where you've got quadricopters the size to lift a pod that holds two or three people. And the sound that those are going to make, if you've got dozens of those in the air that are carrying 10 to 20 times at least the mass of one of those small drones. So let me ask you a question. We never talked about this when we talked about drones in the past. And I haven't tested this, but I have a couple of kind of small drones here that aren't particularly expensive. I may do a little experiment this weekend. So you've got this quad copy. you got four... We got to get back to cities, but I just well, this is But we gotta. I I just want to. I just want to ask and, and propose this question. So you got this quadcopter, meaning four uh, blades, effectively. They're spinning. What happens if an engine goes out in one of those blades? I can't. Um, three can hold it. Yeah, three can. You, like if you have like it well programmed enough, then. You would have you'd have to shift the way that the load and the balancing works, but like one engine going out shouldn't sink it. I would think you probably would be okay as long as you don't lose two or more engines. I think I think potentially with two you might be okay in terms of going up and down, but not propelling forward and backwards. So, and it depends on how they're gimbaled. Well, here's my plan. <laughs> I got a BB gun. I got a, I got a couple of these mini drones. So I may play that, that out this weekend and see how uh, how that comes together. If you what? do this, you need to have a beer in your other hand. <laughs> like, just I'm flying drones and like I'm drinking a beer and taking pot shots at the drone. <laughs> I mean, I probably won't do this, but I like the idea. I like the the, the, the concept of me doing it over the weekend. Um, so I only like the concept if you're like close to blackout drunk. So we've got uh, we've got future cities, uh, pod based cities, drone transportation. Um, so and that's that's something also also to consider in future cities is the transportation of delivery goods and food. I would say in 2023 there will be more people that order delivery food than in any other year prior and likely a combination of, of, of some of the highest most years. Let me ask you a question. When you were a kid, when you were 13 years old, how often did you order delivery? I remember we would like, like most times in high school, they'd come over to your house on like a Friday night and we would order like a Papa John's, but I feel like we picked it up. We, well, so maybe when Papa John's, so there we started ordering a little more delivery um, when I was in like late middle school, maybe high school. Because uh, it was like Friday night was pizza and movie night. But even, but even not accounting for Papa John's, we ordered Jimmy's pizza and and drove to the pizzeria, picked up the pizza and drove it home. Because yeah, it was only like a ten minute drive. And that was very common to pick up your food at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and save yourself the three dollar tip or the two dollar tip or whatever shitty tips people were giving giving back then. Yeah. In terms of like where I lived and everything, like we we almost never got delivery. Like we would always pick up. Uh, but I, I will bet you that there's a great number of people that are living on the mountain that you grew up 
that are ordering food at least once a week right now. Probably more than there were 10 years ago. Or or Uber delivery or DoorDash. Um, So a city has to be able to to get these goods to the consumers. Uh, You know, and I think our current system probably could stand some upgrades where we're sending these giant. You know what's funny? The very thing that I was railing against two minutes ago, I'm actually going to propose as a solution (laughs) for the problem that you're throwing right now. Which is for a small for something like transporting five or six pounds of weight to some location, like a small drone actually works really good there. But one, it's a small drone, not like a human-sized drone. And like, yeah, it's those aren't going to be adding the noise. Like, but now, but now you have to think: what are some other needs that a household or an individual may have seventy or one hundred and fifty years from now? And that's that's why thinking of that's that's why I said taking a trip without having booked the hotel, okay, or taking a trip and not having planned the vehicle in which you're going to take the trip. Those are kind of two ways you're planning your future city because there are too many variables with future technology that are very difficult to account for, right? You take the buildings that we have in Lower Manhattan, and all these financial companies are leaving them because. They just don't have the capacity for the infrastructure needed to run the wiring and run the cooling for all the technology and the servers that need to be on site in that building. So, you know, obviously they couldn't have conceived of the Internet 95 to 120 years ago when they were building these buildings. And that's a current problem that we're facing today. And, you know, that's why a lot of these companies are leaving that area. So how are we building cities that are going to withstand the test of technology over time. I, I, I just struggle to imagine what needs are going to arise in a hundred years that aren't present to some degree or another today. Well, on that note though, we're defining them as needs. I don't necessarily think they are needs. And I think that there will be a, a small subset of people that will be perfectly comfortable living in lower technology uh, right. But if you talk about, for example, food delivery or just food and goods delivery, like the the desire to have things delivered to your home or apartment in a city, that needs probably going to continue to grow. Yeah. I mean, I think now, like if I could just have like a gallon of milk, a dozen of eggs, uh, a half loaf of bread, you know, a couple pieces of, of protein delivered to my house weekly, like I would I would go shopping very infrequently only for special people. Yeah. And and think about you know what the solution was in like the nineteen fifties for this? Uh, delivery guys? I don't know. Is that what you're going to No, with this? pneumatic tubes. So that actually is in my notes here. Uh, you know, in Sweden they have uh, they have a system to they have public garbage cans and it basically gets sucked out of that garbage can into a, a vacuum vacuum tube below and exported from the city center. Um, just like when you go to the bank ATM and, and you you put your money, you know, your, your signed checks in that little tube and it seals and shoots to the teller on the inside of the bank. I think there there's a good chance that that might be a technology we will see incorporated in some of these future cities. At it would be dumb scale. if they did. Well, and why are you going to say that? Because I, I think you're going to get to the reason. Well, there's that. a big difference between like, so if Sweden uses 
like pneumatics to transport the gar like so you've got garbage cans at the street level and then uh, like they're connected to like a tube network below street level and when the garbage reaches a certain level of fullness like the bottom drops out and it goes into like the pneumatic tube system that's for one there's a relatively small number of nodes mm-hmm. where for every block you might have one or two nodes right well but you've also got one flow one direction of flow that's also true but yeah. even if we even if it's bi-directional where the garbage could shoot up into the garbage can that doesn't affect my point all that much which is okay. that every at every block you've got one or two of these things mm-hmm. so it's not a terribly complex system whereas if you were to try and do this for every unit in every building like it's orders of magnitudes more complex well even building to building but that's still that's still likely more than just right. one or two but imagine you had some kind of centralized system and then it branches off into every building and then in every building it branches off into every unit and so like think about how difficult that would be to build well i think i think to put it more directly, you have too many multi-directional intersections. Or mm-hmm. And also, if you're burying this underground and there is a jam, then you create something where you have to tear up the street or you don't know where it is and you have to tear up the city block. Uh, yeah, it's that, a maintenance nightmare. You're adding to the complexity underground. There's a reason why. And it's the same thing, even if it's inlaid in the building. Like, and something goes wrong, you've got to tear out the walls to wherever the failure point is. You know that, uh, I, I I don't know if my current office building does, but when I had the, the other office, I know that we had a mail chute. And each floor had a little slit in the wall and then a, a tube underneath that. And you put the mail in there and it would slide down to the bottom. Um, but they are widely not at all used. And, I would imagine they're used for garbage. Uh that's what they're used for, yeah. So uh, the mailman gets whatever surprise, and you know, uh, inevitably somebody sticks a wad of chew bubble gum or some shit in there because people are fucking animals, and uh, and it just gets jammed up and, and, and a mess. So look, so you've got. I want to talk next um, about some of the issues that our current cities are facing. I know you've got a couple of of links. So here this McKinsey research report has a lot of good stuff in it. Okay. Uh, should I? You want to pull it up actually, because so you can navigate the the article. I'll share your screen again. Um. Yeah. It's just gonna make my camera super bright. All right. Well, we won't see your face with the screen. Can you make this a bigger, bigger window and zoom in? Uh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just. Just. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. Um. So this graph. This graphic. I don't even understand what. It well, is. what's the relevance of the article first? Uh. The, Thriving amid turbulence, imagining the cities of the future. Um, so, for me, I skipped over a lot of this stuff because I, as you are now. So, what what were the things, James, that you did pause and reflect upon? Well, this graphic here. Okay. Where you look at what are the problems that cities are going to likely face, and like the two top ones by a lot are resource stress and environmental stress. And I feel like those are kind of related because 
as the environment gets worse, then accessing resources also gets worse. Because it like with climate change and stuff, if you've got drought, then that's going to make it harder to get water, which is necessary for the city. And so you can look at all sorts of cities across the planet, but like think about all of the cities along the Colorado River and how the Colorado River, when it finally makes it to like the the Gulf of uh, the Baja Gulf, uh, like the Bay, the Gulf of California, I guess it would be. Like it basically is dry by the time it gets to where it naturally ends, because so much cities and ag- agriculture draw from the Colorado River, mm-hmm. and that problem is probably going to continue to get worse if current weather patterns continue uh, and if we continue to increase demand which they're actually trying to find ways of reducing the demand and i think like all the states as part of like, the colorado colorado river water pact have to drop their usage by like 20 percent this year that just happened interesting this news to me i haven't caught that uh what, um, else, what else is on this list here well high I mean, social stress cities, so cities are vulnerable stress. cities mm-hmm. are vulnerable to the to these types of stresses uh, and then cities by stress vulnerability, that's a percentage. And then city GDP growth. Um, okay, so you got resource stress, environmental stress, and what else? Social stress. And that's going to be either bad government, crime, poverty, unemployment. So I guess think about a city like, I don't know, Mexico City, where... There's a tremendous amount of poverty. The The government isn't very strong because of corruption and just kind of the undercutting of the government by all the cartels. You've got high unemployment because the, the country's economy is kind of rough. You've got high crime and like the infrastructure of the city. If you've ever looked at a map of Mexico City, it's a mess. It like People that can navigate around Mexico City amaze me. Well, that's, like if you, that's poor city planning uh, compounded over time. Mm-hmm. Um, Mexico City also has resource and environmental stress because it was built on a lake bed, so it's sinking at some crazy rate every single year. Um, so, like, a whole bunch of buildings and their foundations are under massive threat because, like, they're sinking. And it has resource stress because, like, well... It gets a lot of rain, but it also floods a lot because it's in a lake bed. And so it's like it might get some rain, but it's very hard for it to actually use any of that water because the water's flowing into the city, not into a reservoir that the city can use. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what else? What else do you have on, on the list here? So. We've got this graphic here talking about like new technologies that are going to change the way that cities work. And for me, the important ones here are going to be, well, 3D printing is going to be, it could make maintenance a lot easier because if you design a city in such a way that like a lot of its systems are all 3D printed, then when something goes bad, like your maintenance techs could be as simple as like, they scan a barcode on whatever thing they're repairing and it pulls up schematics 
and then they could have a 3D printer that they brought with them as part of their maintenance truck or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they've just got the raw materials of raw plastic or raw metal in the truck, and they can just 3D print a part on site. So I think that there's a possibility for using technology in a good way. Um, autonomous and near autonomous vehicles. I, I, I've voiced my opinion on this one widely, which is so long as you have a mix of autonomous and near autonomous vehicles, autonomous vehicles present a tremendous danger to people. Um, yeah, you need to have a saturation of autonomous vehicles at like greater than 95 to 99%, in my opinion. I think we'll get there pretty quickly. I think uh, I really hope we don't. I mean, I'm not looking forward to it. I, I enjoy driving. Um, and and I also think from the as the human driver, the predictability of an autonomous vehicle is going to be re- it's not going to move like a human would, uh, you know, yielding for it itself effectively. You know, if, if there, if you can assume that if there's another car that something's happening with it, they're looking out for their own safety. So you can plan on the moves that they make to prioritize that vehicle itself. Whereas an autonomous vehicle may not think like that. It may think for the, the well, greater good of a, of, of a different vehicle and not prioritize where you expect. Well, it's it also autonomous vehicles are notorious for misidentifying threats. Uh, I think this is in San Francisco where an autonomous vehicle was on uh, maybe like the Bay bridge and like misidentified some kind of thing, maybe like a paper blowing from like across the bridge or something, but like something that wasn't a threat that a human wouldn't like break for. And so from like 50 or 55 miles an hour, the autonomous vehicle slams on its brakes out of nowhere and causes this major wreck because all the other drivers are paying attention to like what's going on and whatever this vehicle identified as a threat, all the other drivers are like, Oh yeah, that's just like a cardboard box or something that fell off a truck. That's empty and blowing across the road. I don't need to break for it. And now all of a sudden, like this vehicle that's in front of you that you're not aware is autonomous. Just slams on the brakes. Just slams on its brakes and goes from fifty-five to zero, and you slam into it, and then the car behind you, and then the car behind it. Yeah. Um, no bueno. Uh, so they talk. The, the chart that you have here continues to talk about mobile internet, the Internet of Things, cloud technology, advanced robotics, um, advanced materials, which is again that's in the scope of kind of. Uh, you know, planning what you're not ready for effectively. Renewable energy, autom- automation, knowledge work. Um, uh, you, you lost me on that one. Intelligent software systems that can perform knowledge work tasks involving unstructured commands. And so software. I think that's more like the AI thing of like yeah. with chat GPT, where like you give it kind of a vague prompt and see what it comes up with. So... It would be, I, I don't know, like, perform. I'm just trying to think of something that in the future you'd be like, AI, solve this for me. Like, AI, design this bridge. Well, well, no. How about traffic flow? Like, to a degree, we use we use computers to optimize traffic flow, but I don't. Oh necessarily- yeah, like with the sensor, like the sensor intersections and stuff. Yeah, but I don't think they're that smart, and I also don't no. think they're, they're learning, right? Like, I, I don't think I think they're 
there might be some automation, but I don't think it's intelligent and learning. So it might be referred to as as the AI. And and you know, if you work for Department of Transportation in New York City, maybe you think it's cutting edge, but it's not. It's not. It's not learning, and it's not intelligent. No, it's better than just a, a, a guide, intersection a that is always timed to the same amount of 30 seconds this way, 30 seconds that way, where like it can recognize that there's more cars on one, on, on one side of the intersection than the other and lets more of them through for, with like 45 seconds and 20 seconds instead of 30, 30. I don't know. But it's still not like, yeah, I'm with you. It doesn't really learn. This, this is the list that I... I, I kind of centered on is okay. so hit this list and then we'll hit the slime and the, uh, the pipes. So, yeah, these are the characteristics that the McKinsey Institute says like cities should be striving for. So a work environment that attracts the best global talent. And like, some of these are just kind of like buzzwords to me. They're like, no, we want the crappiest workers. <laughs> no, but like, you know, when they, when they pushed Amazon headquarters out of Long Island city, which, you know, more industry or not, but I, I just thought it was a, it was a silly reason that they pushed it out. And I, I couldn't even tell, I couldn't make, make out whether or not it would have been a, a net positive or a net negative, but they just pushed it out just be, you know, because they didn't want whatever, you know, whatever happening to that area. By the way, Long Island city is just an industrial zone. That's that they're basically phasing the land into luxury high rise condos. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how slowing that down or, or you know pivoting would have been that detrimental. But uh, so work environment attracts global talent. All right, what else you got? Yeah, so I, I would say like just add into that, I would have to imagine that like like favorable favorable work environment would have to be one like decent wages, companies that people want to work for that are attracted to the city, and then like labor laws that are fair and make people comfortable working there? Uh, well, I think if we're attracting people, I think the labor laws are going to be at the other end of the spectrum. Uh, you know, not necessarily, you know, uh, not necessarily in line with what's attracting people to the city. You see, you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. Well, that's to attract the companies. And so there's always a competition yeah. there of like the companies want labor laws that favor them and the workers want labor laws that favor them. I mean, yeah, you got the guys at Google that can work two hours a day remotely and then Skype in for a, a free lunch buffet and a massage. And then you got the people that like take out the garbage and clean the floors. Yeah. So you know, I guess the labor laws in this case would protect the people that, that sweep and clean. Um, and we'd attract the, the talent with the, with the buffet lunches that you can Skype your way into. All right. So the next um, one, flexible and environmentally stable with environments that lever leverage fabricated modular building materials and efficient construction techniques. Cities will be net generators of energy and food. Bullshit. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you're going to, you're going to be able to turn a, a city a metropolis uh, into agriculture simultaneously. I, there's there's some things that you can do with vertical farming. There's a little bit of stuff that you can do with urban farming. You can put solar panels on buildings. You can maybe put like wind turbines on the very top of the, of buildings. But that just doesn't scratch the surface of surface of how much energy and food a city consumes. It just doesn't. All right. And I don't think that there's really a way to combat that. 
Hit, um, hit next because I'm, I'm zero to limited it. congestion. A shift in traffic patterns will result in more active mobility. Mobility solutions like autonomous electric vehicles, etc. Bullshit on that one. Too. Well, congestion congestion is definitely an important part of a city, but I don't look. I notice that there is. I, re- I remember growing up, I could, you could be on the road for a fucking hour and not see another car. I, I have not been on the road in the last decade and not seen another vehicle. Uh, you know, I, I commute for an hour plus in the car every day. Uh, it's even though we're doing 85 miles an hour, the cars are li- seemingly bumper to bumper at 85 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I don't see congestion trending uh, in the direction of of re- reduction uh, anytime soon. What, what do you have next year? Pollution-free air, optimal and uh, optimum ambient temperatures, and adequate exposure to sunlight. Also bullshit. Like, how are you going to manufacture the weather? Unless you're in San Diego, that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, what, what do you have next there? Clean and zero wastage water supply. So... This is something th- that might be one of the more achievable ones there. Like if you look at Las Vegas, they're actually really good about how they manage their water supply. Um, and green power will fuel desalination and purification. So again, like you need to find uh, desalination sounds really great, but it has a whole bunch of problems. One is it's extremely energy intensive. And two, like you've got, a whole bunch of environmental impacts from one sourcing the water and two, what you do with the concentrated brine afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that in theory sounds great, but actually, you know, when you dig one, one level deeper in the surface, it becomes very complex uh, and, and seemingly impossible. I don't think it's impossible. I, I think I think there's a chance we may get there in some cities. I don't think we'll get there on massive scale. Um, I just no. I there there need to be major breakthroughs in order to like make desalination a more practical thing that cities can use. Because like on its surface, you just like well, look at all this water out there. Why can't we use it? Uh, what else? What else is in here? Um, convenient access to affordable, healthy, and fresh food. Um, I mean, that's possible. Just like, that's all about sourcing food. Like I'm calling bullshit on the city being able to provide its food for itself. But if you've got a good supply chain and getting farms to bring stuff into the city, I don't think that one's terribly difficult. No, uh, Uh, for active lifestyles, like that's yeah. Make, make your roads designed to be walkable and, and like bikeable have various sport things like have gyms and public spaces and parks and, and athletic fields and stuff built so that people can do recreation. That's not very difficult. All right. Next. Um, inspiring landscapes and public spaces. This kind of goes with what I just said, but like, I don't know, put some sculptures and crap in there. Not difficult. <laughs> some um, sculptures. All right. All right. Yeah. Layered and instantly available community protocols will enable service provision and computer community interaction on a twenty four seven basis. I honestly have no idea what that means. I see yeah, layered and and layered community protocols uh, will enable service provision. 
I, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. Does that just mean everybody is connected? Is that just like like a big next door page for the city? I don't know. Yeah, it, that's kind of what it kind of what it sounds like. Uh, next, uh, uh, no physical or virtual crime. Artificial intelligence enabled surveillance of physical and virtual networks in a comprehensive and transparent public record system will make it possible to predict and preempt illegal activity while respecting privacy concerns. I feel like there have been movies made about this. Yeah, 1984 and just any dystopian. And, and Minority Report. Yeah, Minority Report and, and 1984 would be probably the top two. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you guys, anybody who hasn't watched these movies or read the books or anything about this, anything that any movie that attempts to achieve even half of what item 10 is seeking to do, I'm just going to tell you, they don't end well. Uh, all right, next, quick. We got to get through this list. I want yeah, to touch. All right, um, protection against man-made natural hazards. Well, that depends on where your city is. Um, like you can't do much about an earthquake if you're in San Francisco. It's going to happen. Yeah, next. That was, yeah, I was thinking about. Hang on, I was thinking about that when we were looking at that Lion City. Uh, that just like if there's any, I wonder what the tectonics look like uh, below or around around that city. I have all no right, idea. Uh, next. Um, cutting cutting edge preventive care. Um, smart wearables, hygiene tools, smart homes. Uh, that's all crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Accountable and efficient government services. Yep. That'll uh, happen. Yeah. The accountability and transparency of government is not. And is efficiency. Not, but but the, the transparency of government is just meaning we're having a lot faster turnover and a lot more just idiots that, that yeah. get their foot in the door. I'd, I'd uh, like to meet the person that says what I think of government, I think of efficiency. <laughs> I mean that does sound great. I think you know we we need to move in that direction. But uh, okay, it's, I mean uh, I don't know. Next, uh, and convenient last... access to large variety of non-work pursuits. Oh, that's easy. Build a build a theater. I don't care. <laughs> um, um, that's it. There's uh, more, but that's it. All right, I want to I want to move on to. I just want to touch my notes, make sure we covered them all. But, and I think actually a lot is just the same list that you just went through. Uh, I will unshare your screen here for you. So, uh, fuck, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, going through your own personal list of stuff that's similar yeah. to mine? I'll, I'll give you my list of just things to take into account. Um, energy demands for the city, uh, you know, whether it's wind, solar, uh, hydro, or nuclear energy, uh, and then waste that the city produces and controlling pollution, which is slightly separate than, than waste. Public transportation, um, upgradability of the city. The, the ability you know, for us to upgrade buildings by either building them taller or making them smarter or making them more sustainable. Um, uh, the government, having a good city government. You know, there's right now a lot of cities that, uh, that are just not going in the right direction governance wise and, and legislation wise, uh, personal space. Uh, the thing is, as you cram people together, people still want to have that personal space. And you talked about some park spaces some green spaces, um, but also size of apartments. You know, you can't just cram everybody into a, a micro apartment and just think because they have a place to sleep that's that's low in cost. They're going to be happy. Um, and then yeah, the not everybody wants to be sleeping in a coffin. Yeah, but you know, you've seen those pictures from like Japan and Hong Kong, right? Yeah, there's there's actually, and we're gonna. I don't know if we're gonna see it in the article I have here to share with those futuristic cities, but a lot of new cities are just kind of planning on very small, 
spaces for people to live. And I can tell you, having seen a lot of the new construction buildings in Manhattan, those apartments are small. And, and then the buildings, to compensate for the small apartments, the buildings have big gymnasiums, rock climbing walls, basketball courts, big common areas, uh, movie theaters in the buildings, but the apartments themselves are half the size that you would even expect. Uh, and then the last one on my list is just water. Um, you know, and I think that's gonna be a really big issue just as global population increases and uh, kind of disperses out of the cities as well. Whereas demand for water is, is going to change just in terms of density of demand and Water is going to be maybe the single, like the, the single biggest issue, not in this century, but in the next. Yeah, I mean, having water to drink that's not contaminated and, and then and getting it where it needs to be. You know what my number one issue for this century is going to be in terms of like resources that we're scarce on? Fuel? I don't yeah, know. oil. Oil, you think? Yeah, I think oil is going to be the biggest issue of the next 70 years. And then the next 100 years after that, it's going to be water. Hmm. Oh. Because after 70 years, we're going to be out of oil, and we're like, all right, well, we got to solve this somehow. I'll drink my beer in the meantime. Yeah. <laughs> uh, made with water. All right. Yeah, so, and, then, and then reintroduce water to the environment. Um, all right. Let's, let me open this article here. Uh, all right. So this is from DZen. Uh, actually, I, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to do some. Some moving, oh, come on, some like really up. quick. What you were talking about, like the whole idea of like booking a vacation without having the hotel like planned. So, there's another one of these city projects called Tolosa that has all this fancy CGI and everything else. And location currently being scouted, <laughs> yeah. That's I think that might be on my list here. Um, all right, let me throw us back in full screen here. So, this is from DZine. Dot com, which is a, uh, I, I couldn't do much great navigating on this uh, on this website. I was really not happy with the, with how it was to get around the website. Yeah, for yeah. a website that has design as its like title. Yeah, it's it's trying to like play on words with design, and apparently, its design mm -hmm. of the website is crappy. No, it's just it, navigating around the website was 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 really tough. Ten futuristic cities to be built. Around the world, uh, let's see. You got the uh, uh, as a 170 kilometer long mirror megacity in, in the Saudi desert makes headlines. Here are a roundup of 10 futuristic cities currently being planned across the globe. Global issues such as housing crises, climate change, and climate change are galvanizing ambitions for a new generation of high tech cities. The line, 500 meter tall skyscraper will house 9 million people in northwestern Saudi Arabia as this video below which we're not going to watch the screenshot here well, this is one that we've already talked about yeah this is this is the uh, the line Saudi Arabia uh, or the Saudi Arabian government uh, unveiled plans for the 170 foot long 500 meter tall linear so it's just one long line as part of the neom mega development uh, with an expected population of 9 million people. Uh, they said that they're going to connect the two ends within 20 minutes. Uh, but that's, yeah, if there was no stops and you were going... Well, no, hold on a second. I, we need to think about that for a second. Because if you need to get from one end to the other, 
you need to travel 100 miles in 20 minutes, that means that you need to somehow travel at 300 miles an hour, and that's with no stops. Uh, back to the tubes. Back to the, <laughs> just yeah. Put yeah. Put people in the pneumatic tubes. That's a great idea. Um. All right. But that's it's you look at that picture there. It's it's mirrored on both sides, and uh, it's a it's a funky, it's a funky city. And you know you're not just living on the top like the Great Wall of China that you you walk along the top. You're you're existing in in the tiers of the city and the different levels of that. 500 uh, meter tall. Yeah, think about how crappy it is in the bottom floors. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, in any building now. Uh, all right, and then we have Tolosa, and this is in the USA. No, it's not uh, in the USA because they don't have a location yet. Well, well let, me, let, me, let me go on here. Danish architect Björk Ingels and his studio Big are mastering Tolosa, a city for 5 million set to be built from scratch on a as yet undisclosed site in a U.S. desert, um, it's the project of idea. It's the the project is the idea of billionaire entrepreneur Mark Lore, who hopes it will become the most sustainable city in the world. Given they don't have a location yet, and that's yeah, and and also like if you're choosing a location, why in the world would you choose the desert? I mean that's. I suppose if they're if they're not like looking to put a dent in in the forest or something like that. No, but like, but, why would yeah. you choose the desert? It's like it's really difficult to do things in the desert. That's why people don't live there. That's uh, yeah. It's it's a. I mean, just the only to, thing that's great about the desert is it's cheap to buy land. Why is it cheap to buy land? Because it's useless. Nobody, nobody wants to do that. We got we got to move. We got seven minutes left here. Uh, Biodiver City, Malaysia, also designed by Big. A uh, 1,821 hectare development of three artificial islands being built offshore, offshore of Malaysia's Penang Island for the state government. Lily pad-like islands uh, expected to house 15,000 to 18,000 residents and be connected by autonomous transport network. Next is new administrative capital, Egypt, designed by SOM. Which makes me think yeah, that, so the Malaysia one seems like the least dumb one so far. The the Egypt one is dumb. Uh, Egypt is building an entirely new capital city for up to 7 million people in order to relieve congestion in rapidly growing Cairo. Uh, the architecture firm produced a master plan for the privately funded project and it will cover 700 square kilometers and feature one of the largest urban parks. Uh, mm, interesting. Uh, let's see. Then we have Amaravati, India, designed by Foster and Partners, set on the banks of River Krishna. The city of Amaravati will act as the new capital uh, uh, for the state of India. For the, uh, I'm sorry, Andhra state. state of India. Uh, it's arranged around a needle-like top. It literally looks like, I, I, I don't know. I don't even know what you would call that, but it's, it's, it's a goofy-looking building with a very tall spike coming out of the top. 60% um, uh, will be, uh, the central district will be covered by greenery or water. Uh, I think that makes it really difficult to 
make those places uh, able to be occupied, right? Mm. I mean, especially if you're covering them with water. I don't know, though. Um, a smart forest city in Mexico, uh, designed, by, designed by Stefano Bori Architetti. Italian architect Stefano Bori is working on plans for a forested smart city near Kuhn. Uh, and it will contain seven and a half million carbon absorbing plants and trees across the 557 hectares uh, designed to house 130,000 people. Well, at least that one's uh, like a reasonable population target. Yeah, that's that's one of the things about these cities is they're expecting eight million people like the population density. You know, they're not that big. Some of these places which is wild. 130,000 people does not sound does not sound crazy. Um, botanical garden with a contemporary city based on mayan heritage and its relationship with the natural and sick world yeah that one's like one of the less dumb ones we've seen okay now you have the orbit canada designed by partisans the orbit is another planned smart city intended to transform a canadian farming town through extensive use of fiber optics drones autonomous vehicles with development decisions based on big data uh Partisans has described its design as the modern version of garden of, of the Garden City movement that emerged in the UK in the early 20th century. All right, Maldives Floating City by Water Studio. Rising sea level due to climate change means much of the Maldives is expected to be uninhabitable by the year 20. In response, the government has partnered with architecture practice water studio and designed a floating city that will house 20,000 people uh, in a lagoon near the city, near the capital, as soon as 2024. Now, this one, this looks like a cell under a microscope, doesn't it? Kind of. Uh, they got the ribosomes. Much, yeah, they don't talk much about transportation uh, from island to island. I would imagine, oh, like, I mean, from like, like platform to platform, you probably just need a kayak. I don't. I don't think people will be commuting by kayak, <laughs> but um, you just gotta row over. <laughs> so, I mean, kayak, kayak uh, traffic jams would be hilarious. You just see people splashing each other. I I uh, participated in a kayak race over the summertime in jellyfish-infested waters, and I mean, there was so many jellyfish you could just put your hand in at any point in the water and grab a jellyfish. Where was and, this? Uh, this is in Maryland, and uh, the owner of the company that, that I'm with now had bought a uh, basically a giant, I think it's like 27-room bed-and-breakfast style estate. And, is this uh, on the Chesapeake Bay? The Chesapeake Bay, yeah. Um, so, but what happened when I got on the kayak in these jellyfish-infested waters for the race was uh, I jumped in the kayak which immediately took on water and I flipped and fully submerged. <laughs> so did you so get stung? I, I got, I had a couple marks on my legs, um, but nothing, nothing too bad. I got, I got really lucky. I mean, Just why in the world would you jump into a kayak? Well, we were racing. Come to find out I was on the smallest kayak, which was not rated for my weight uh, at all. It was, it was like a foot shorter than I was. It was like a kid's <laughs> kayak. So I didn't know. Uh, next time here. I wish I was there. <laughs> There's a video. I'll send you the video. Chengdu, future city of China by OMA. Dutch architecture firm OMA has proposed a car-free master plan for the capital 
of China's Sichuan province that claims challenges that it claims challenges conventional urban planning models that are driven by road networks or maximized gross floor area. Um, we're out of town. We're out of town on Instagram. So say goodbye to you guys, and uh, we got. We'll just finish up this list off Instagram. Sorry, guys. Adios. Uh, let me stop my timer. I'll talk a little slower on this one. Uh, set to occupy 4.6 square kilometer site, which is not very large at all relative to the rest of the other cities. Chengdu Future City will instead focus on the land rolling topography with six different zones designated to blend in with the surrounding landscape. Uh, all buildings in each zone will be accessible by foot within 10 minutes. Uh, this is probably the uh, least, least futuristic city if you're able to, you know, if they're planning and you're commuting by foot. Yeah, but remember, it's they're, they're going to be split up into six zones. So it's only within each zone that it's 10, 10 minutes. So it's not like you can walk from anywhere to anywhere within 10 minutes. It's anywhere all, within your zone. All buildings within one zone. Uh, okay. Uh, and then here's the last one on our list. Also in the U.S., Innovation Park by Elric Yane, Ray Chane Architects, and Tom Wiscombe Architecture. Cryptocurrency magnate Jeff Burns uh, plans, to, uh, plans to develop part of Nevada's desert into a smart city powered by blockchain technology. Yeah, this sounds very unlikely. I don't, I, I don't know where they're going with this one. Uh, with the help of architecture, Erlegiani, Ray, Chani, Archit oh, that's a mouthful, um, intends to transform the 27,000 hectare plot into, into a community where people can bank vote and store data okay one every other city has places where people can fucking vote and bank you, 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 you're missing the data. last part of the sentence which is important store their data doesn't sound like no no, no. Without, without involvement from governments uh or third party all right so, so you're a bank an unregulated banking here's How's what here's what i want you to think about not only is the whole yeah so you make a good point about like is unregulated banking a really good idea but I'm going to bring up another one, which is think of the type of people that would be attracted to this proposition and then think, do I want a city full of them? <laughs> um, I mean, unregulated banking, uh, unregulated voting. Here's uh, here's what I'm thinking is in a, city, in a city based on data storage that is also unregulated by government. So if that city ever gets built. I am going to go to whatever manufacturer I can find that makes tinfoil. And I'm going to say, give me as much as you have. And then I'm going to put it in several trucks, drive to the city in Nevada and start making hats because well, I mean, just, just think they're really I will big be rich. I know government and, and that typical government means regulations. I mean, the, the two mean the same thing. Uh, how are we building a futuristic city without regulations? Who's governing that? Right. Like, <laughs> you're going to rely. Like, the only the answer that I could see them saying is that it would be something like a pure democracy, kind of like how ancient Greece or ancient Athens was, where literally every single citizen has one vote and literally every policy has to be voted on by everybody. So think about how many bills Congress passes every single year, right? I don't know how many, but it's a lot. Now think about 
all the different policies that the federal agencies come up with. Like, mm-hmm. so the EPA, FAA, like every single, like all of them. And it's probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pages of laws and regulations and policies, right? Yeah. Now imagine every day you get an email with the notice saying, I guess where you're going with this. Go ahead. <laughs> Here are today's 200 bills, policies, and proposals for you to vote on. Uh, uh, you know, I. <laughs> There's there's no way anybody would want to participate in that. I, I was listening to a podcast uh, over the weekend, and they were talking about just the different types of politicians. And we sort of brought this up, and maybe we can wrap after this, uh, just about adding transparency. I, I, I briefly mentioned it earlier that adding transparency to government has just led to a much higher turnover rate in politicians. I don't know and, if we've necessarily added much transparency to government. Well, I, I mean, I think with social media and with everybody having a cell phone and, and everybody recording everything, I think there's an, I don't know, I call it transparency, but maybe exposure. I don't think that's been good uh, for, for, I mean, in, I, well, I think, I think it has been good in, in many ways, actually. I, I take that statement back, but I also think that it hasn't been good in other ways. I don't know. And, it makes me think of a saying that I re- that I really liked that I just remembered. Which is politicians are like diapers. They should be changed often and for the same reason. So uh, because they're full of shit. But one thing that I heard over the weekend that and I think it might have been Malcolm Gladwell that was that was explaining this was just how the politicians of the past were of a certain pedigree. They had they had studied law. They had a background in politics. They knew the certain ways and workings of things. Whereas a lot of the newer politicians that we have now, and not that this is necessarily bad, but they aren't of that certain pedigree and they don't know the certain ways and workings of things. And that just kind of adds for a bit more of a shaky system. Uh, Well, it's like when you have politicians voting on laws regarding the Internet when they don't even know how to open a browser. That's yeah. But that's you know why another reason why politicians should be changed a certain amount over time. But that doesn't just mean you need to take somebody because they're a web developer, a very loud, outspoken web developer with no experience in politics, who's just passionate about whatever topic. And we're getting a lot of people like that now, well, um, that are that are running on the fact that they were, uh, for example, without naming names, a poor waitress who is now you know fighting, fighting for for poor waiters and waitstaff. You know what the, my favorite proposal for a political system is, or like a, for representative democracy? Have you heard of the word sortition? I don't think so. So here's how it goes. In the country of population, whatever, you have a legislative body of, let's say, 100 people, right? Mm-hmm. You know how those 100 people are selected? Randomly. Okay. Above a certain age, let's say 18 years old, 21 year olds, it doesn't matter. Like above a certain age, you just pick 100 random people. So kind of like a draft, like a compulsory uh, type system. Yeah. You just say for the next two years, your job is you are one of 100 people that are part of this country's legislature. Well, hopefully you're paid well and able to put your life on hold. 
Uh, well, I yeah, but they, I don't, it, it there's some help. considerations, but the, they, they've, they've done studies in this, and it actually leads to much better results. Because the thing is, one, you're on a, on a fixed timeline. You don't have an office to protect. You don't have a re-election campaign to run. You don't have anything. This is your job, is make good laws. And by picking randomly, sure, you're going to get some idiots, but you're also going to get some smart people. And you're going to have to get them all to agree. So you're going to generally find that they're, co- they're coming up with things that are good for the country and based on compromise. Mm, I, you, you, that all made sense. But I do think you did kind of slide uh, past third without really touching the base there when you said you take 100 random people who generally make good decisions and have to come to a consensus. Even if you take – I'm saying – in those hundred people, you're going to get some people that make bad decisions. Well, That's I fine. This, I think this is where you 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 didn't touch third base here on your way to home. Was I don't think you're going to have some people out of out of the hundred. I think you're going to have sixty or seventy percent that are really just not moving the discussion in the in the right direction. No, you're totally right. But even if you have two thirds of the people that are uh, that are picked at random, that aren't really going to have original ideas like they can still be swayed by the people who do come up with the ideas and like let me ask you a question have you ever tried to have an argument with a dumb person um if you have an argument with a smart person you may sometimes win if you have an argument with an idiot you will never win so yeah so these people who aren't very intelligent and you're swaying their opinion sounds easier said than done but I know, but I, the thing is, all you need to do is you just need a simple majority. You need 51 people to agree with your idea. So even if you've got 40 people that are idiots that won't vote for you, like you, like it, it's you've got a random assortment. <laughs> Trust me, they've studied it. It works. Well, it, it's it, better it, than the system we have right now. It, but just like many studies, it may work in some scenarios. I, I, it, it's, it would be a risky system to just scrap a current system and implement on top of it. Uh, I'd be interested in reading some of the studies and just hearing some of the details, uh, you know, where it's worked out and maybe theorize how it may not work out in in other scenarios. But just imagine I tell you to pick 10 people at random and you have to get them all to agree with you because you know you're right. I think that's that's easier said than done. And no, but if, if you said pick 10 people and get five of them to agree with you, I could probably pull that off. I think you'd be surprised, my friend. I think you'd be surprised. I mean, it depends on what kind of crazy idea I'm proposing. Um, but uh, on that note, I, uh, I bid you good evening. We're going to log out. Uh, interesting episode. I enjoyed talking about future cities. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. All right. All right, that's all, folks. We'll see you next time if you subscribe. So make sure you click the subscribe button, and we'll see you then. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.